out. We got to visit our family. We appreciate you letting us do that, uh, have the time to go and visit. Uh, Jeremiah started a, a new job. My son-in-law had started a new job. And of course, you know, she has a, a baby and then an 18-month-old and, and a three-year-old. And moms, can I get a witness? That's some hard work. Um, so we were able to go out and help uh, Daniel get settled with the new baby. And, and Angie and I were taking care of the boys for the most part. And of course, at every moment we could, holding that little girl in our arms, it's just, she's so precious. Um, but with that, you know, it's exciting, the series that we're in called Multiplicity of Ministry. Uh, you know, I know Zach preached last week and uh, did a great job. And uh, the content, you know, I was able to, to, uh, to go through that content, listen to his message. Uh, man, couldn't have been more on target when it comes to how we start with the Lord you know, and live our lives to the Lord in our witness to others as well. Amen. And so today, uh, Chuck is going to come and he's going to share with us. And I know he's got a great word for us. Uh, So would you put your hands together and welcome him to the platform. Good morning, everyone. Hey, you can call me by name. That's nice. Um, Great to see everyone. Last Sunday was snowing out and it's sunny and nice today. So Some people probably weren't here last Sunday, and so if you weren't, welcome uh, back. Uh, As Pastor talked about, we've been in this series called Multiplicity of Ministry. Zach last week did a great job uh, laying the foundation about starting our walk with the Lord and specifically uh, talking about Jesus being the cornerstone in which the church and everything's built upon. So... Let's just jump right into our our series scripture. It says, You believers, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house for a holy and dedicated priesthood to offer sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. When I, before I went to Bible school, my late, uh, this is the late 90s, I, I worked as a attended Mason's. Anybody ever attend Masons? It's not fun. It's pretty grueling work. Um, but one of the things that I would do is I would make mud and I'd bring the materials for the Masons to be able to, to do their job. And so a lot of times they would build stone fireplaces. And what Zach talked about last week is so true in that they set that cornerstone first. And everything is built in between from that. But how many of you know you don't just set cornerstones? Yeah, that's a nice fireplace. You've got to build what's in between. Those other stones, as, as the scriptures refer to, the living stones, which would be you and I in, in reference to the body of Christ. The thing that was interesting, though, as far as the Masons go, is they don't just grab stones and just start throwing them in there and packing it in. There's a level of artistry involved with that. They have, uh, I, I remember distinctly, because like I said, I'd bring all the materials to them. And there would be times that they'd set that cornerstone and they're trying to fit, figure out what's the next stone to put that kind of is symmetrical to this one. And they get to a point and they go, I don't like any of these. And so they go out to the rock pile and they'd sit there and they'd be looking and they'd see one. They'd come back and go, okay, this is the one I want. And that's how they built the wall or built the fireplace or the wall or whatever it was. That's what God does in our lives as well, is that we are built into this thing called the body of Christ, and each of us plays a role, and God is so 
incredible and that he knows where each of us belongs. So with that in mind, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how God has called us, uh, created us to be something bigger than ourselves. And in so doing, we were also uh, called to be a part of the church. And that kind of manifests itself out, or we connect through the local church. So we'll go to our first point here. You can write this down. We are created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now we listen to this, and a lot of times... We hear this in the context of marriage, and that's true. God has given us, you know, those of us that are married, our spouse is our helpmate. But I want to emphasize, this is not just about marriage, okay? When God created Adam, he said he can't be alone. So I'm going to make him a helper suitable for him. Now, on a side note, it's interesting that God wastes no time. He's two chapters in, and he says... Adam needs a helper, okay? Um, Why did God, why did did Adam need a helper? Any ideas? Because he needed help. That was deep, wasn't it? So Adam needed help. So two chapters into the Bible, God's saying man needs help. Some men go their whole life, I don't need any help. And all the ladies said, truth is, we all need help. That's why we're born into a family. We don't come into this world alone. We need others. So we're created to be some part of something bigger than ourselves. In Genesis 12, this is the beginning of the story of Abram, who would later become Abraham. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household To the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God comes to Abram and he says, I've got this great plan. It's going to start with you. It's not going to end with you. The difficulty here though is Sarai, his wife, couldn't get pregnant. So, God's got this great plan that you're gonna, I'm going to make great nations out of you, but it's not happening in the natural. Chapter 15 goes on to talk about, uh, at the time when God came to Abram initially, he was 75 years old. Imagine that as a promise at 75. I'm going to make you a great nation. So, he's 75 in chapter 12. Coming to chapter 15, it's about 10 years later. And there's this, if you read the chapter, there's kind of this sense of Abram's kind of like frustrated, like, hey, you made this promise, it's not happening. And the thing that's interesting is God calls him out of the tent and he says, look up in the sky, look at all the stars, and, and that's, that's what it's going to be like for you. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky. So he comes back to him 10 years later and makes that promise again. So and his, him and Sarai are still frustrated. It's not happening. So Sarai says, take my concubine. And, you know, it's not happening with me. Maybe it's happening with her. 
Well, guess what happens? The concubine gets pregnant. And so now it's not Abram that's the issue. It's Sarai because she's the one that's obviously barren. So as a result of that, they go, uh, you know, they try to, to kind of in the natural make this happen. But God makes it known that wasn't my plan. That was not my plan. Fast forward 13 more years. Abram is now 99 or 100 years old. Just imagine this frustration. You've been sitting on this promise for 25 years. It's not happening. Chapter 17, God comes and he says, okay, I'm going to make you the the father of many nations. In fact, we're going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. So in your first point there is name change was about nations. When God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, it was about nations. The vision was bigger. Again, this, the only problem with this is Sarai is not getting pregnant. So uh, what ends up happening is a miracle took place. It takes... It took a miracle for God's promise to be fulfilled, just like it takes the miracle of salvation for us to start our journey with Christ. Last week, uh, Zach talked about that. It starts with, with Christ. It took a miracle. It took a miracle in this situation for, for, for Sarah to get pregnant. Uh, the next point, I think, is salvation's end result is to be a part of something bigger than us. So this whole vision about Abram, Abraham is bigger than him. Salvation for us, it's, it's bigger than just me and Jesus. It's about the church. It's about the body of Christ. In fact, now let's fast forward to Revelation. So we started at the beginning of Genesis talking about this. Now we're going to fast forward to Revelation and what's to come. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, People and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What's this mean? Guess who's, guess when we get there, we're not going to be alone. It's not just going to be me and Jesus. It's going to be a great multitude. In fact, it says here, more than we can even number. Now, on the surface, this sounds great. Oh, this is going to be awesome. A tribe and every nation will be worshiping before the Lord. Well, let me tell you something. When you're dealing with people, it's not all glorious. I've been part of Compassion International for almost 10 years. One of my coworkers is here today. Let me tell you, it's challenging. There's cultural issues. There's language issues. There's all these challenges because why? We're talking about human beings. None of us are perfect. Not one of us is perfect. Pastor Derek's not tra- uh, perfect. He's an Ohio State fan. Those of you that don't get that joke, I'm from Michigan. He grew up in Ohio. Michigan and Ohio State are big-time rivals. Go yeah, go home, Buckeyes. Uh, <laughs> they're actually playing basketball right now as we speak. So, like I said, it's, it's, none of us are perfect. But this is what God's plan was. He's got people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So it's bigger than us. Now, with that in mind... How does this relate to where we're at in our walk with the Lord being bigger than us? What is it that that is bigger than us? 
We'll go to the next point, and that is we are called to be a part of the church. So we're created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We're called to be a part of the church. Jesus said in Mark 16, 18, he had a a ruler, uh, you know, one of the chief uh, uh, lawmakers come to him and, and, um, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. And here he's talking about Peter just had this, uh, he asked Jesus, or Jesus asked him, who who do people say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the, the living God. And Jesus commends him and says, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus had a plan, I'm going to build my church. He didn't say I'm going to build my organization. He didn't say I'm going to build something else. He's going to build his church, and that's around the world uh, where that is uh, manifest across the the globe. In 325 uh, A.D., the church, and I'll talk a little bit more about this a little bit later, for about the first 300 years of church history, there was no really assemblance or organization to the church as we know it. And the reason for that is because there was a tremendous amount of persecution. So people were on the run. Constantine came around, uh, 313 had his conversion, and I use that for, for uh, there's more to the story, and I don't have time to get into that right now. But Constantine comes along, and he makes Christianity legal for the first time. And because they the church had had no organization to it, he comes up with this idea of what's called the, the Council of Nicaea. It was at this place, in the Council of Nicaea, where church leaders got together and they hammered out what's called the Nicene Creed. Who has heard of the Nicene Creed? Many of you probably have heard it if you are maybe not know what it's called, but a lot of churches recite it on a regular basis. We believe one God, the Father of the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Some churches recite this on a weekly basis. So they hammered out this, these beliefs of what, what is it we stand for as a church. We finally can, can kind of have some semblance or organization to us so they came up with the Nicene Creed, and one of the things towards the end, it says, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, the word Catholic simply means universal. So it's a little c, and today we have what's called the Roman Catholic Church, and I grew up Catholic. Uh, it was not made known to me what that really meant. It was just, we're Roman Catholic, and I'm, I'm Catholic. Well, Catholic just means universal. And at this time, there was no such thing as Roman Catholic Church. There was no such thing as Greek Orthodox Church. There was no such thing. There was one church. So when they say we're one holy, universal, and apostolic church, we're globally connected. That's the intention behind the Nicene Creed and what they're talking about. With this in mind... Um, in, in the 3rd century, St. Cyprian of Carthage was known to have hammered out this idea that there's no salvation outside of the church. Now, I'm not here to call into question people's salvation. That's not my place. That's God's. But there was a, tr- a belief, and a lot of churches even today still have this belief, when you study what's called ecclesiology, which is the study of the church, that they believe that there's no salvation out of the side of the church. In other words, God's plan was that it worked in, conf- in, in confines with the, the local church, the global church rather, 
and it's manifest through the local church. And there was no salvation. There was no way of, that's just how they saw it. Life was done within the church. This flies in the face of a lot of beliefs today. I, all I need is God. I believe in God, right? We, a lot of us have heard this. I believe in God. I just, I don't go to church. You know, I don't need church. I believe in God. Um, and so on and so forth. And this flies in the face. God is, from the beginning, God has had a plan. Jesus said, I'll build my church. We'll go on to these scriptures just to kind of emphasize this a little bit more. When these letters in the New Testament were written, they were written to the church. So people who have the justification in trying to saying that, I don't need church, I don't know what your justification falls on then. So just going through, we're going to do this for, for the sake of being repetitive. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 1-1, to the church of God in Corinth. Galatians 1-2, to the churches, plural, in Galatia. 1 Thessalonians 1-1, to the church of the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 2-1, to the church of the Thessalonians. Jumping ahead into Revelation, where Jesus communicates to the six churches. It says, to the angel, or messenger, of the church in Ephesus, that word there, uh, angelos in the Greek, can be translated angel or messenger, It's probably properly translated saying messenger because it's speaking specifically probably to the the pastor of that local church. 2.12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum. 3.1, to the angel of the church in Sardis. 3.7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And 3.14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea. So we see this repeatedly throughout the New Testament. God is speaking to his church. When, when the scriptures are speaking, it's to the church. It's not to individuals. There are some that are written to individuals. Peter, uh, rather Timothy, um, it being one of them. But guess what? Timothy was a leader in the church. So we see this rep- repeatedly that it's a message to the church. Now, Again, we live in a society today that's more and more thinking, oh, the church is irrelevant, it's not needed, I got, it's just me and Jesus, okay? So get, I said I was getting ahead of myself. There was this point where Jesus was being questioned by the teachers of the day saying, what's the most important thing to do? And Jesus said here in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he says, loving God is the most important. It's the first and foremost one. Okay? But what's he say after that? The second one is like it. The Greek word here is homoios. And what that means, it's of the same nature as the first. So with that in mind, when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about the cross. The cross is both vertical and horizontal in its nature. Love God, love people. You can't love God 
without loving people, and you cannot love people without loving God. They're intertwined. That's like somebody coming to me and saying, hey, you've got three kids. Which one do you love the most? Those of you who have more than one child know that's a ridiculous question. So when we're talking about what's the most important, loving God vertically is important. Loving people horizontally is just as important. In fact, you can't do this without doing this. And you can't do this, trust me, I know. You can't do this without doing this. Let's take this another step further. In Genesis, before the fall of Adam and Eve, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were frolicking in the the garden. This is Chuck's message, not the message. It's Chuck's message. So they were frolicking in the garden, and they were naked and not ashamed. Oh, the husbands would be like, that sounds like a great marriage right there. Right? Right? They were naked and not ashamed. They're careless. They're just going about. Question. When they partook of the fruit, what was the first thing they noticed? Their nakedness. It wasn't this. It was this. What did they notice? We're different. I don't know about the rest of you, especially those of you who are married, When things are not going well in my marriage, it's usually because I'm focused on the differences. Okay? It's it's the, it's the, the, the differences we tend to get focused on. This comes in many different ways. Black, white. Protestant, Catholic. Um, Male, female. I mean, I can go on and on. So this aspect here is where it was first noticed. It wasn't here. This was notified uh, uh, eventually uh, that they recognized that. But it was here. It was sin that caused them to, to recognize their differences. So this cross, when we're talking about the cross, you can't separate one from the other. The cross, I don't have this down. If you guys want to write this down, you can, but... The cross doesn't just represent what God has done for us, but demonstrates what God expects of us. I'll say that again. The cross doesn't just represent what God has done for us. A lot of us have crosses in our homes or we're a cross. A lot of times we're looking at that from the perspective of what God has done for me. But you know what? This is a demonstration of what God expects from us, or of us. Um, This is backed up in Scripture. Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If any man were to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, How many have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Uh, Those of you that don't know, he was a Lutheran pastor, stood up against the, the Nazi regime, ended up costing him his life. In his book, The Cost of Discipleship, if you read it, the first thing he says is, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So we're talking about being called to the church. 
this is where we really find ourselves. We're, we're to be like Jesus in this same way, loving God, which a lot of people find that easy. And that's the people who are like, oh, it's just me and God. I'm good. I don't need people. Well, unfortunately, that's not God's plan. So, let's set this down for a second. Imagine, if it's just you and Jesus, let's take this off. Just pretend that these, the horizontal is gone. What's it look like? The letter I, number one. So a lot of our day and age talks about looking out for number one, right? I, me, what matters to me. My former pastor, I got to give credit for him to say in this. Uh, he said, selfishness is the opposite of love, not hate. Okay, we talk about love and hate. But when we're talking about love, what's the polar opposite of this? Being selfish. So when we're talking about being called to the church, like it or not, this is what we're called to. Relationship with God, relationship with others. In fact, the the Bible even goes, so Jesus goes so far as saying, if you don't forgive others, God can't forgive you. So it's like, it's intertwined. Like, it's, like I said earlier, homoios, love God, love others, they're like, you can't separate them. And if you try, then you're going outside of the bounds of what scriptures talk about, what Jesus talked about, and what that means. Okay. With this in mind, how does that manifest itself? Well, we connect through the local church. That's the next point. We connect through the local church. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What's that sound like? Water baptism. That's what Zach talked about last week. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The reason we meet together, not just here, but in small groups, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, the reason we meet together is that we are looking to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Where else in the world do we gather to spur one another on to love and good deeds? I can't think of any. That's the idea of the church the local church. And the thing about this too is, what apparently according to this scripture it says, the next part says, as some are in the habit of doing. Some people apparently have gotten in the habit of not going to church, not getting meeting together. And according to this, 
they were kind of removing themselves from the body. We all have probably seen, I'm going to date myself when I say this, the, uh, it was a Mutual of Omaha and they used to do Wild Kingdom. Maybe remember a Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom? All the kids would be like, huh? Uh, we all saw, you know, growing up, the lion targets the gazelle. They get separated from the rest of them. And next thing you know, it's down and it's gory and stuff. Well, the scriptures say that Satan roams as a, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So when we remove ourselves from the local body, from the local church, we're just setting ourselves up for failure, is what it comes down to. So the idea of connecting is, is something that connecting requires being intentional about it. If we're going to do this, we have to be intentional about it. You know, we all get together for birthday parties, Christmas, holidays. How many know that that doesn't just happen? You have to plan it. You have to set a time. I know I come from a big family. Uh, I have five brothers and two sisters. When we planned Christmas, it wasn't just, oh, we're going to get together on Christmas. It was probably like two weeks on a Sunday, you know, between one and four because there's grandkids and they have their other, it was, you had to plan it out. So we had to be intentional about it. In the same way, you have to be intentional about being a part of the local church and being involved. This aspect, today we live in the world where the way we understand church is jaded. It's, we're not looking at it through the same lens. Because if you look at it through the lens of the scriptures, we, that's, that's where we have to go back to. We live in the Western world where we have freedom and we have liberties. And there's no threat of us meeting here to get today, but in other parts of the world it is. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, in the first 300 years of church history, if you were going to be a Christ follower, you, better, you might as well just plan on it costing you your life. And so when they met, they met together probably in homes. In fact, you can see it in Scripture when Peter was imprisoned. Uh, I believe it's Acts 12. Uh, when he was miraculously delivered, they were meeting together praying for him, and he went to meet them at a home. That's probably how they were meeting together. They had to do it under the cover of night. They had to do it in a place where it was safe, uh, you know, not get, gathering. You know, they don't have new signs like we have out front here. They're, hey, Chris, come to church here. Because if you did, you probably are going to lose your life. And there's places like in China and others that are like that today. So they had to be intentional about it. And until Constantine, as I mentioned, made it legal to be a, a Christ follower, there was no safety. There was no guarantees. So it literally would cost you your life, potentially, if, if you weren't um, careful. So all of this talking about created to be something bigger than ourselves, called to be a part of the church, and we connect through the local church. I'm just going to take a moment here and talk about how that relates to Gateway Church. Uh, you can see here, these have been set up on the various chairs, connect, and it talks about next steps and connecting and what you can do to be a part. And if that's something you're interested in connecting on some level, and you're not even sure I'm going to ask you to fill this out. It asks you for your name, your phone, your email, your social security number, your bank account, uh, your blood type. No, we don't ask for your blood type. Uh, 
No, pretty harmless. Name, phone, and email. If you don't want to share your phone, fine. If you don't want to share your email, fine. If all you do is put your name, I'm probably going to be able to get a hold of you. But if that's something you're not quite sure how you can connect on that level, um, you know, know that that's what we're here for, to connect. And I want to emphasize here, as I mentioned, this isn't just about Sunday mornings. In fact, what we're doing today, you can make a valid argument, is the least important part because life happens outside of Sunday mornings, as we all know. And so the church has a couple ways that you can connect. One of them uh, we call learning groups. In fact, the uh, seminar next Saturday, The Great Toy Way to a Great Marriage, uh, is a one way that you can be a part of a learning group where you can learn about how to uh, frolic in the, na- in the garden <laughs> naked and not be ashamed. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Preach it, brother. Uh, that's one. And then uh, I haven't talked to pastor about this, but this is something I'm going to throw it out there because I think he'll, he'll be cool with this. Um, a learning group, let's hope. Huh? Um, another learning group that I'm going to probably look into putting together is I found out this week that there's an exhibit coming to the Denver Museum of Science and Nature of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so I was thinking we could probably get together. It comes here in mid-March and is here through September up in Denver. So what we'll probably do is maybe take a couple Saturday mornings or something to where we get together and we talk about the scriptures. And for those of you who don't know the history behind the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're some of the oldest manuscripts that predate Jesus. And really, when they discovered them, they were rec- they rec- going back and looking through those manuscripts, they realized, wow, they were accurate in, in uh, doing their interpretation of the scripture. Because a lot of people over the years are like, well, who knows? They could be uh, you know, inaccurate and so on. But the Dead Sea Scrolls are uh, um, proof that they were translating the scriptures properly. So we'll do something like that on a Saturday morning, uh, a couple Saturdays or something. And then another Saturday, we'll take a field trip, uh, bring you back to your elementary school days, uh, which will be fun, be able to connect and spend time and have lunch and so on. Now, another way that we connect, and, and probably one of the ones that uh, we want to really emphasize, is through life groups. Uh, Those of you that are life group leaders, can you please stand just for a moment? Yes. Thank you. Uh, Those of you who are interested in life groups and want to know more, feel free to tap one of these uh, individuals or couples that stood up and and talk to them about their um, group. Now, I'll say this. There's a list of groups back there of life groups, and at the risk of, uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone, but I think some of them are just too spiritual. What I mean by that is we have a lot of them, we have a a large number of groups right now that are focused on, like, going through the the sermon outline and and talking about it and stuff, which is great, but, um, you know, there's other ways of connecting, 
And it doesn't have to just be necessarily off of something like that or we're going to read a, a book and, and do a Bible study around that. Um, so I, wanna, I want to look, and the pastor is in agreement with this, we want to look to expand this. So, you know, there are men who maybe like to get together and shoot guns. Um, yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, women too. Um, and maybe, maybe there's others. I mean, there's, there's, the gauntlet is just endless. I mean, there could be a group that get together, and we've seen these signs along the highways where they get up and pick, get together and pick up trash. There's practical ways that we can do this. Now, we're not going to have like a, a swingers life group. We're not going to do that. Uh, you know, maybe singing for Jesus, but uh, not swinging for Jesus. Um, so um, we're not going to do anything like that. And the other thing, again, going back to this idea of connecting. It's a way of really inviting people into your home, um, those of you that would have them at a home, where, you know, you, you got somebody at work that you're trying to reach out to, and you can say, hey, we're getting together with a bunch of us, and you don't even have to say it's a church thing. We're getting together and have a taco bar. We'd love to have you, you know, come by and, and be a part. That's, to me, that's better than saying, hey, we're we're starting a 16-week study on the book of Leviticus, and would love to have you. Because in all honesty, people are probably, that are not, you know, don't know the Lord, they're not going to be interested in that. So, now, in closing here, I'm going to have my two oldest kids, Bennett and Tessa, come up. This is, uh, I'm going to do this just kind of as a, a way of physical representation of what I've been talking about. Now, I'll preface this in saying they have no clue what I'm asking them to do. (laughs) My little guinea pigs. They have no clue what I asked them. Two weeks ago, I mentioned to them, would you guys like to help me? They're like, yeah. I'm like, I can't tell you what I'm going to do. Okay. So, but they're willing. So they have no clue what what they're doing. Okay. So here's what you guys are going to do. I want you to sit down and have your backs touching each other. But make, you know, do it this way so they can see you. Here. This way. Yes. There you go. Everyone see okay? Okay. Now, link arms. Okay. Put your feet out. Legs out. Well, I guess you don't have to do that. But um, some of you have probably seen this before. But I think this is a great physical representation of what we're talking about. Okay. Now, you guys have to keep your arms linked and stand up. Stand up. Did you do it? Oh, you got one. Okay, stop. Sit back down. Sit back down. Put your legs out. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to bend your knees, put your feet flat, and at the count of three, put your feet flat, Bennett. No, no, no. Uh, Put your feet flat so your feet are flat on the floor like this. Yes. Bend your knees. At the count of three, you're going to push against each other and stand up. Okay? One, two, three. Okay, you got to hold back up. Back up over here. 
Did it work? Good job. So, this serves as a physical representation of what we've just been talking about. In Ephesians 4, it talks about the gifts. Uh, pastor talked about this two weeks ago. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. The intention is that they help us grow up into the, being like Jesus. What they just did here is, is just that. They had to lean into each other to grow, to get, to get up. And the same holds true with us as in the church. We're called to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, created to be something bigger than ourselves, called to be a part of the church, and we connect through the local church. Again, I'll be here afterwards if you want to talk to me about connecting and, and being a part of a, you know, getting involved. If you're interested in starting a small group, I uh, would love to speak with you about just um, some of the logistics of that. I want to say this because this is something that, um, as I was thinking about this, young people, I want to encourage you to think about starting a, a life group. You have friends and kids at school that you go with that don't know the Lord. And I know Bennett, he's big time into Nerf guns. And it would be very easy for something like that that you have interest in, saying, hey, we're going to get together and have some friends. And, and uh, you know, before you start, we're going to say, hey, guys, I just want to, we just want to spend a minute and just read over a scripture. That's a, a wonderful way if you do that. I know if, if I'm a parent and my kid wanted to do that, I'm looking for any and every way possible to help them. So it's not limited. Life groups are not limited to just adults. They're, they're open to those who really want to reach people and have the, op- have the uh, desire to do that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, I, I just thank you that you've created us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, that you've called us to be a part of your church and that we connect through the local church. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to walk alone in this life. That was never, ever your intention, that we have others, believers, loved ones that you want to manifest your life through to us. And I pray for every person here that you would just help them understand the value of connecting with other believers. Maybe they're timid, Lord. Maybe they're struggling with the idea of connecting with other people. Uh, for various reasons. Maybe they've been burned in relationships. They've been hurt. And they're apprehensive to try to connect for a variety of reasons. I just thank you, Lord, that your word says you're an ever-present help in time of need. And oftentimes, we encounter that ever-present help in time of need through others. When they're there with us, going through dark seasons of our lives, helping us through, through tragedies or, or, or trials or whatever it may be. Help them to understand that we are growing up to be the, the, the church, the body of Christ, as you created us, all of us to be. Thank you for this day, Lord. I just speak a blessing over everyone as they go about their week. Thank you for divine protection, angelic protection over all of us as we go about our days. And uh, thank you for this time together as a church family. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And you all are dismissed.